Amen. As you find your seat, the oldest group of freshwater kids is going to make their way out of the room. And as they're making their way out of the room, the rest of us can take our copy of God's Word and turn in it to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, as we talk today about fixing an old mistake. If you've got a pew Bible close to you, you can grab that, and it's going to be like page 808, 809, something close to that. Um, And if you turn to that page, you'll be able to follow along with us when we get to read from God's Word. If you're a guest with us, by the way, welcome. I'm Joshua. I'm the lead pastor here at Freshwater. Um, Our mission as a church is to help the people of our community and world become totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. So um, if you're new here, we are ecstatic that you're here with us today on the Lord's Day. Every single one of us has, no doubt, done things that we later regretted. Many of you know me well enough to know that my past is littered with events that I've done and I wished um, later I hadn't done. But it's especially devastating when a person kind of in the public eye, we could say, a person that has a lot of notoriety, falls and they live in such a way that seems harmful. Many of you remember a man named Ted Haggard, and if you don't remember who he is, he was the pastor of New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That was the church that he planted many years before, and the church had grown and grown, and he was known in Colorado and really throughout the entire country as being an extremely charismatic and gifted leader, so much so that he was the leader of the National Association of Evangelicals from 2003 to 2006. But in 2006, as unfortunately happens so often, a scandal broke that obviously devastated his church and the whole evangelical community as a whole. His male masseuse came forward and claimed that Pastor Ted, as he was known for at that time in his church, had been paying him for adult relations as well as for drugs, for methamphetamines, for the last three years. It was soon afterwards when um, a man came out in his church and kind of um, accused him of a similar kind of a relationship. And, and right before the eyes of his church, and really before the eyes of the entire country, as this was on national news headlines everywhere, Ted Haggard was resigning from the church that he planted. People were grieving with him and his family, and he was witnessing what seemed to be the collapse of everything that he'd spent so much time and energy establishing up until that point in his life. Now, I remind you of his story, not to pick on him, not to kind of wave our finger of shame at him or anything like that, but just to remind us all that first, at any given point, you as a Christian are vulnerable to sin and temptation. I bet every single one of us would agree with that. You have not yet arrived. You can be pulled astray, away from God towards sin if you are not careful. That's the first thing I want to remind you of. But secondly, I want to remind us that we believe in a God who walks with us through our past mistakes. For Ted Haggard, it meant counseling, For Ted Haggard, it meant working tirelessly to save his marriage. For Ted Haggard, it meant just being honest about his struggles and his temptations. And you may not have ever engaged in homosexual adultery or meth use or whatever, but we have all messed up, haven't we? All of us. We've all done things that were shameful. 
We've all done things that were disappointing and things that honestly we regretted later on in life. And what we get to see today as we study the Apostle Peter is that God is a God who, if you are willing, will walk with you through your past mistakes. Now let me bring us up to date on the text. We're in the final chapter of John's Gospel. The closing section we've titled, That You May Believe, and that's based on the purpose statement of the Gospel of John, which is given at the very end of chapter 20, when John writes, he says, I've I've written these things so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing we would have life in his name. We've seen so much in this book. We've seen miracles of Jesus. We've seen Jesus' revolutionary teaching ministry. We've watched Jesus be killed and hung on the cross. We've seen Jesus buried, and now we're seeing how Jesus, after he rises from the grave, he appears to his disciples and is preparing them for the time when they're no longer going to have him in the flesh. So last week, if you remember, Jesus appears to seven of his disciples while they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. We framed that account by seeing how that gives us a picture of how the apostles and the church are going to minister in the world today. But now the account begins to narrow in on one of those disciples. Some people say the most significant of the original 12 apostles, the one known as Simon Peter. Now remember, Simon Peter is the guy who last week we saw, he, he, he sees Jesus on the shore and Peter jumps in the water and begins to swim to Christ. So Peter we know is often very enthusiastic. We know that he's often the first person to speak out of the group. Sometimes he's pointed to as the mouthpiece for the rest of the, the disciples. He's the one that said what everybody else wanted to say. We know that he's not afraid to speak and ask a question of Jesus. But if you remember, Peter's life and Peter's walk with Christ has not been free from its issues. Because it is Peter who, when Jesus was about to be crucified, it is Peter that denied Jesus three times. It is Peter that when questioned, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Haven't I seen you hanging out with this Jesus character? It is Peter who says, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. And now Jesus has risen from the grave. They've eaten their fish breakfast at this charcoal fire. We're going to see Jesus begin to walk with Peter through his past mistake. And I think it gives us a picture of how even though you've messed up, even though you've done things that, that, frankly, you don't want anybody to know about and you wish that God didn't even know about, if you are willing, Jesus will, Jesus will walk with you through repentance and he'll strengthen your relationship with him. So this morning, we're just looking at six verses. We're going to break it down by concentrating on three truths we all need to be reminded of that can help us deal with our past mistakes. If you're doing the fill-in thing that came in your worship outline, you're about to get the first blank. Here's the first truth, and then we'll read verses 15 through 17. Be reminded that God has not forsaken you because of your past mistakes. Number one, be reminded that God has not forsaken you because of your past mistakes. Now look with me at verses 15 through 17. What does the scripture say? It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now let's stop right there for just a minute. Let's unpack how these opening two and a half verses remind us that God has not forsaken you and I because of our past mistakes. This text builds off of last week as it always does. 
Remember the charcoal fire. Remember the fish breakfast. They're eating on the beach with Jesus. How cool would that be? And you can imagine maybe getting uh, Jesus getting up and moving uh, to make sure that he's sitting right next to Peter. And Jesus begins to kind of poke and prod and question Peter. And he's asking him a simple question. He's asking what? He's asking, do you love me? Now let's not forget the emotions that Peter must have been feeling. If you remember, Jesus had told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way, that's not happening. I'm not doing that. That was way back in John chapter 13. Yet as the crucifixion unfolds, that's exactly what happens. And Jesus knows that Peter denied him three times. And Peter knows that Jesus knows that he denied him three times. And now after eating this meal, Jesus begins to press him just a little. And I think the key to understanding what is about to happen is to be able to appreciate Peter's inner feelings. I mean, remember, Peter had made the greatest confession in church history. It is Peter who had said, referring to Jesus, it is Peter who had called Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we were to just kind of dive into the heart of Peter and kind of ask ourselves, okay, what would I be feeling at this point? What would be happening in my heart and my mind if this had just happened to me? Peter was likely asking himself, I wonder how our relationship is going to pick up. Like after everything that I've done to Jesus, now we're sitting here, we've ate breakfast together, I wonder what's going to happen now. Like are we good Like, is there anything between us? Are we okay? Has my sin now caused you to permanently reject me or to at least think less of me? Or maybe he's asking, has my mistake disqualified me from service? In a roundabout way, Peter might have been wondering, Jesus, have you forsaken me because of what I've just done to you? And that's why I think Jesus' commission of Peter is so important. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter replies, of course I do. Yes, I love you. This goes on three times, likely meant to mirror the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. And after every response, Jesus tells Peter, okay, if you love me, what does he tell him to do? He says, feed my lambs, verse 15. Tend my sheep, verse 16. Feed my sheep. Verse 17. Those are basically ways that Jesus is telling Peter, okay, Peter, if you really love me, let's move past the three times that you've denied me, and how about now you focus on serving me? Show me with your life. Show me with what you do after this point whether or not you truly, totally love me. Which tells me that for us today, it would be incorrect for you to think that your past sins and your past mistakes disqualify you from serving God. And I'm going to say that again because some of you aren't paying attention. It would be incorrect for you to think that your past sins and your past mistakes disqualify you from serving God. Now don't hear me wrong. You may have past mistakes, and past sins that may very well disqualify you from serving in a specific capacity. Like, for example, if your past includes stealing, and it includes greed, and money is one of those things that you've always struggled with and allowing money to, to rule over your life, if that's you, if that's your past, it's probably not wise for you to be the church treasurer. You know? It's probably not wise for you to handle the giving baskets, 
And by the way, the position of pastor and elder, we could even say the position of deacon, those positions seem to be held to a higher standard. The way that you lived in the past may very well disqualify you from those positions. That's very possible. But don't think that your past can be so bad that you are now just expected and encouraged to sit like a bump on the log for the rest of your life. You're not encouraged to do that at all. You are commissioned if you've been forgiven and you've been reconciled to God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is telling you, he's commissioning you, he's telling you to serve, to serve. Now, Chuck Colson is quite possibly one of the best examples of this. Uh, Whatever you've done in your past, it likely has not had the ramifications of the sin that existed in Chuck Colson's life. Now, if you haven't heard of him, Chuck Colson was a man that Eric Metaxas says about him in his book, Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness, he says that Chuck Colson had worked hard in his younger years for President Richard Nixon, but he spent the second half of his life working even harder for Jesus Christ. See, Chuck Colson was special counsel to President Richard Nixon in the 60s and was known as being Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He was kind of the guy that did all the dirty work that has to get done if you're the president, but you can actually do it yourself. He was the first person imprisoned as a result of the Watergate scandal. And most people would look at him at that point and they would say, man, your contribution to society is over after you've got caught doing something like that. Like there's nothing after that point. And that might have been true if it wasn't for Chuck Colson becoming a Christian and becoming a child of God, and and being born again, and beginning his new life in Christ, which would include starting Prison Fellowship, a massive organization that ministers to prisoners with the gospel. He went on to write several books. He started several other organizations and ministries. He went to share his story of conversion with folks all over the world, and before his death in 2012 was actually giving the Presidential Citizens Medal. Now, some of you may hear that, and you want to think, well, why are you telling me about this old dude? I don't even know who Richard Nixon is, let alone who like his right-hand man is, right? But the principle that we can draw from his life is still very much needed today. Just because you've messed up in the past, that doesn't mean that God can't use you for great things in the future. Just like he did with Chuck Colson. Repentance, true repentance coupled with faith and a willingness to serve God can be used by God in mighty, mighty ways. So that first truth, we need to be reminded. Be reminded that God has not forsaken you because of your past mistakes. Now the second truth we need to be reminded of, be reminded of how much God has changed you. If you're a Christian, be reminded of how much God really has changed you. Let's pick up that last half of verse 17. It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Pause right there. I know that wasn't much, but let's talk about this. This is the third time that Jesus has asked Peter, do you love me? That's where we are in the account. And I don't know who in here has heard this account before, but you know, maybe for, for a lot of you this is the first time you've ever heard this scripture. But this is a text that is preached a lot in churches, so I'm assuming that some of you have heard it before. Um, and if you've heard this preached before, you may remember it being pointed out that the word Jesus uses for love changes in the text. And that there are two words in the original language of Greek for love. One is agape and one is phileo. And many people say, well, those words mean just a little bit different of a thing. One's talking about brotherly love. One's talking about a more intimate love. And Jesus changes the words that he's using. And therefore, Jesus is, you know, arguing 
Peter to a more substantial, a more important love, but, but I don't think that the evidence is very strong for that. Generally, those words are used interchangeably and almost a synonym, so Jesus is just pressing Peter, I believe. He's just pressing him over and over. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Okay, Peter, do you really, really love me? But now look at how Peter responds to this third time that Jesus asked this question. Look at what he says at the end of verse 17. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what is Peter acknowledging? Peter is acknowledging, Jesus, you know everything. I mean, that's what he says, right? The church word we use for this is we say that God is all-knowing, right? God knows everything. He's omniscient. That means God, there's nothing that God doesn't know. So, for example, I went to bed Tuesday night, 8.45, by the way, having no doubt in my mind that I was going to wake up to a world where Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States. It had not even crossed my mind, honestly, that Trump could win. God, however, um, different than me, did not need to wake up Wednesday and click on his Twitter app to find out the news. God knew it was coming, y'all. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Why? Because God knows everything. Well, in the context of the account, Peter's not just saying, Lord, you know everything. Peter is saying, Lord, you know everything, including everything that I've done. Like, you know what I did to you. You know that I denied you three times. You know, you know what happened in my life. You know that I had that lapse in character, that lapse in judgment, whatever we want to call it. And you know how I know that that was on Peter's heart? I'll tell you how I know that that was on Peter's heart. Because of how Jesus addressed Peter. How does Jesus address Peter? It's in verse 15, 16, and 17. Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. Now don't rush over that. You know why that's significant? You know what that is? That's Peter's name before he begins following Christ. I don't expect you to remember it because it was so long ago. It was like a year and a half ago that we covered it. But way back in John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus had said to Peter, here's what he said. He said, you are Simon the son of John, but now you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So now we're 20 chapters later, three years later in the life of Peter and the life of Jesus, and Jesus returns to the name that Peter used to have. Isn't that interesting? And it's not an accident. Jesus would return to Peter's original name only when rebuking Peter, only when correcting him. So it's almost like Jesus is at the same time saying, yeah, I know everything. That's true, Peter. You got it down, buddy. I know everything. There's nothing I don't know. I know that you love me. But Peter, are you sure that you love me? Because you're acting like the person that you used to be. You're acting like you used to act before you began following me. And Peter, I really need to know for sure, are you sure? Because I'm not positive that you're sure. Are you sure that you really do love me? Are you sure that you don't want to be the person that you used to be? So when I'm thinking about what this has to do with how God walks us through our old mistakes and our past mistakes, this tells me one of the ways that God brings you out of your past mistake is not only by reminding you that he's not forsaken you, but by also maybe getting in your face a little bit. By rebuking you. By questioning you. Are you sure that you want to follow me? Are you sure you don't want to be that person that you were before you chose to follow me? Now, on a practical level, sometimes it's really difficult, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, to see and to recognize how much God has changed you. 
It's hard to, to, to see that. It's kind of like with my children, you know, watching them grow up around them every day. Like, I understand they're growing. I see, you know, I, I feel their shoes getting tied on them. You know, I see that process. But it's much different when you go back and you see a video of them two years ago or you see a picture of them when they were first born. That's really when you see how much they've transformed. And I feel like that same ha- thing happens with our walk with Christ. We become kind of numb to how much God is truly changing us because we never get to see a picture of what we looked like five years ago or a picture of what we looked like ten years ago or whatever. So what are some practical ways that you can be reminded of how much God really has changed you? We've got four of them listed in your outline. I'll give them to you. These are really basic, really basic, but if you're doing the fill-in thing, you can write these down. Number one, ask him. Ask him. Ask God to reveal to you how much he has changed you. When you're praying, just say, God, would you remind me of what my life looked like before I began following Christ or even five years ago, you know, if you were saved 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever. Can you remind me of what my life looked like then and the heart struggles that I had? We just remind me so that I can be sure that you're still changing me and transforming me? Number two, journal your prayers. Some of you do this. I've got people in my life group that journal their prayers. You know what the benefit is of writing down your prayers in a journal? Is you get to go back and you get to see, oh, you know what, I was really struggling with that at that point in my life, and now that's not even a struggle at all. What is that? That's God changing you. You also get to see how God answered your prayers. Number three, live in community. Live in community. By the way, Ted Haggard, you know what he claimed was the reason that he fell into that sin? He didn't blame it on, like, temptation. He didn't blame it on anything like that. He said not living in true biblical community with other Christians where you had people that you could discuss your real struggles with and confess your sin to when needed. He said, that's the reason I fell into sin. So live in community. Allow people to be around you and close enough to you that they can witness and testify to you how much they've got to see God change your life. And number four, regularly preach the gospel to yourself. Regularly preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel declares that if you have been born again, you are being refined in the eyes of God. It's not a maybe thing. It's a definite thing. It is happening. If you've been born again, if you've chosen to follow Christ, repented and believed, it's being used to refine you and change you and make you more and more like Jesus. Now, let's move on. So we've been reminded, be reminded that God has not forsaken you because of your past mistakes. Be reminded of how much God has changed you. Now that third truth we need to be reminded of, be reminded that if we are willing, God will strengthen us so that we can follow him in the future. That's if you're willing. If you're willing, God will strengthen you so that you can follow him in the future. Because look with me now at verses 18 and 19. How does the account conclude? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus now does what? Jesus has pushed Peter on his love for him. He's kind of poking him. Are you sure that you love me, boy? He's kind of ushering Peter out of his past mistakes. He's reminding him of how much he's already been changed. And now what Jesus says is colossal. It is really colossal. When Jesus says, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, it sounds strange for us to think about that. It sounds strange for us to to kind of wrap our mind around what exactly is Jesus trying to get at. But Jesus is giving the ultimate picture of youthful freedom. 
Remember, remember when you got your license. Do y'all remember what that was like? Here's what it was like um, whenever I got my license. I drove like nonstop forever. Like anywhere that I could go, I went there because I was free, supposedly, in my brain. Uh, you know, I was free from my parents. I was away from my home life and my siblings. Um, uh, like, you know, I had turned 16, and I saw it. The way that I think about an individual acting after they break from prison, that's the way I acted. You would drive as fast and as far away as you possibly could. It was like a prison break. I drove and I drove and I drove. Of course, gas was dollar a gallon then, so it's not like it really hurt your pocketbook too much. But Jesus is saying, he's saying, Peter, when you were young, you controlled your own life, didn't you? You went wherever you wanted. You did what your heart desired. But Jesus says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and what's going to happen? You're going to be taken where you don't want to go. That phrase, stretch out your hands, what does that mean? Well, in extra biblical literature, that phrase is used to refer to dying on a cross. So Jesus is saying, okay, Peter, Let's get this straight, dude. You just told me three times you love me. And Peter, it seemed like you were getting annoyed, by the way. It kind of seemed like you were getting frustrated because I kept asking you the same question over and over. But guess what, Peter? I'm asking you this because following me may bring with it death. That's what may bring. That's what may come if you continue following me. And by the way, for Peter, that's exactly what it brings. Because Peter is eventually martyred. Did you know that? He's killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. He is hung on a cross, similar to how Jesus was hung on a cross, except Peter insisted to his murderers that he be hung upside down because they considered himself not worthy of being crucified on a cross like Jesus was crucified, which they willingly did. So Peter is crucified upside down on a cross. Jesus is telling Peter right here, right now, get ready, buddy, because life is about to get real, and your words are about to be tested. And I'm going to know real soon whether or not you're legit or whether or not you're lying to me. And for you and I, hear me, I've been talking about past mistakes. I've been talking about how you know these things in our past can pull us down and, and, and we fret about them and we struggle about them. Know that you've been forgiven for that. If you're a Christian, you've been justified. You've been set apart. Sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, no doubt about it. Notice that Jesus does not conclude by fretting on the past. Jesus concludes by preparing Peter for the future, doesn't he? And that's what I want you to remember. You cannot go back in time and change everything that you've done. You cannot erase everything that you've ever done in your past from your memory. It, you can't do it. But one thing you can do is you can blaze a trail of obedience into the future. And you get to decide, like Peter does, Lord, I love you so much that although I have had those stupid, stupid events in my past, although I have stumbled in the past, and you know what, I am now resolving in my heart that I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to follow you even to death. That's what I want to do. Now let's begin to wrap this up. Let's think about what we've seen this morning. Three truths we need to be reminded of when dealing with our past mistakes. First, be reminded that God has not forsaken you because of your past mistakes. Second, be reminded how much God has changed you. And then third, be reminded that if we are willing, God will strengthen us so that we can follow him into the future. Now next week, y'all should be excited. Next week is our final week in the Gospel of John. Can y'all believe this? This is pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about this. I've preached through several books before, but this is the one that by far has taken the longest with you know, a year and a half or whatever it's taken. But today in our scripture, we find out that, that even in Jesus' closest circle of friends, even in that group of 12 apostles, 
These dudes are tight with Jesus, aren't they? Jesus had to allow them to be forgiven for the mistakes that they made. And for many of us, maybe all of us, we might have some kind of a similar situation where we feel like we failed God and we feel like we let God down and we wonder what has to happen for us to get past that event. Is that something that's already taken care of or is God still holding that over my head? Many of you know who Jesse James is, and I'm not talking about the Jesse James that was the train robber or whatever, you know, that he did. I'm talking about the motorcycle enthusiast who started West Coast Choppers, became a celebrity, built custom motorcycles for all kinds of people all across the world, married Sandra Bullock. That one didn't end real well, if you're aware of the gossip trail on that, but even celebrities screw up, don't they? Are you all aware of that? Some of you knew that. The rest of you think they're perfect. I don't know. But I want you to listen to how Jesse describes how good it felt to be able to go back and to repent and to ask forgiveness for something that he had done in his past that he felt especially ashamed of. So you can go ahead and start that now. You know, I told him I was sorry. It's the only reason I did the apprentice. Oh, the only reason? Yeah, because they asked me like the first four or five years, like, we do it, nah. We do it, nah. And like they told me, I'm like, who's on it? I just out of curiosity. And they said, Scott Hamilton. I said, I'll do it. What did you say to him? When you I waited until the night he got fired and I walked out and all the producers got really mad. I'm like, oh, you can't leave the set. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I went out and talked to him out in the street and told him, I said, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry. Well, I doubt anybody can say that you've stolen a Porsche. Maybe you have. Maybe a Ford or Chevy, but probably not a Porsche, right? And I doubt that uh, many of you have had run-ins with Olympic athletes, but I think to myself, here Jesse James is, um, celebrity, you know, plenty of money, plenty of fame, probably whatever he wants, and he's still wrestling with the sin that he had committed years ago in his past, 20-plus years. How, how much more so must Peter have felt for his sin against the Son of God. 
denying the legitimacy of Christ. Really when he had the perfect prime opportunity to testify to God's goodness. And when Jesus comes and when he sits next to him at this charcoal fire, this fish breakfast, Jesus is revealing to Peter that he is a God of second chances and that if he will repent, guess what, Peter? If you will tell me now three times that you don't want to be that old Peter that you used to be, if you'll tell me, reconfirm that love for me, guess what? I'm no longer going to hold those past mistakes over your head. And you know what? That's the offer that Christ makes for every single one of us. I mean, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not. If you're a Christian, know that, you know, you don't, it's, it's not like I have to, even though I've got horrible things that are in my past, it's not like I have to get up every day and, man, just live with this burden like, man, I can't believe that I did that or anything like that. Romans 8 1 says, therefore, there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, the good news, the, the most encouraging thing that I could ever possibly tell you is that you have freedom, you know? You don't have to, it's not that person who keeps reminding you of all the, the bad things that you've done in your life. God's not the one that's doing that. Now, for those of you that haven't chosen to follow Christ yet, that's the invitation. That's the invitation. Right now, your sin is standing against you. It is condemning you. It is crying out to God. But guess what we get to do? We get to repent. We get to believe. We get to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. We get to begin following Christ. And and when we do that, all of that's done away with. So if you'd like to do that, Um, I'd love to talk with you more about what that looks like in your life. There are three ways that we go about doing that here at Freshwater. The first being that you can just come back and talk with me during the next song. We're going to stand in just a second. When we stand, um, I stand at the connect table, and I'd love to receive you if you want to talk to me about what that looks like.